Yeah, good morning and actually good afternoon or good evening if you're tuning in from uh, somewhere, anywhere in the world. Um, it's really good to be able to engage in this um, and, you know, engage in uh, YouTube Live. And, you know, free, feel free to leave a comment, uh, say what's up, uh, tell us where you're from, and because uh, we love being interactive with you guys. Um, thanks, Eugene, for the clap clap. <laughs> I see that. Um, but today... Uh, I'm going to get straight to it. I'm going to preach a message titled, Selfless Self-Control. The title of my message is, Selfless Self-Control. All right. And for today's passage, if we can turn our Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 to 26. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 to 26. Interesting topic to preach on, uh, I'm going to be reading from the ESV. So if you can follow along in your own Bibles at home, or I have it up for you guys on the screen. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 to 26. And it reads, but I, oh, it reads, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Amen. And that's the word of the Lord. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be preaching on, focusing on the fruit of self-control. And uh, it's funny because um, a couple of days ago when I told my girlfriend Pauline what I'm going to be preaching on, on self-control, immediately she gave me... Uh, advice on how to apply it. She said, she said, preach under 30 minutes, please. <laughs> and practice self-control. Amen. <laughs> uh, okay, here we go. So the virtue of self-control is actually, is not necessarily a Christian virtue. It's not necessarily a Christian value, uh, which I would say, but I would say that the source of motivation and the power to exercise self-control can be different for the Christian. Right? Um, for example, like 
Anyone can exercise self-control, Christian or not. For example, uh, dieting, limiting oneself with what to eat and its portions. I've been practicing that. I don't have to, nobody has to be a Christian to practice that. Uh, disciplining and training your body through exercise by working out, by foregoing other activities. I've been trying to practice that. Three, refraining from certain activities to rest and take care of yourself, to take care of your mind and your heart. Moderating and limiting social media usage requires exercising self-control. Refraining from certain word choices and thought patterns and responding to certain people requires a lot of self-control. And um, actually, I have a story. It's an embarrassing story that I want to confess where I lacked self-control. Uh, earlier in uh, the year, in 2019, I was going through a really hard and stressful time. And there was a time I went out with my friends and we stopped by this arcade where you can win these things called popki, which are stuffed animals. <laughs> See, I thought it was dumb. I thought it was, why would people waste money on this? I put in a chonon, I pressed the button, and out came the stuffed animal and I won. At that moment, at that moment, something happened in my mind. A chemical was released. And then all of a sudden, I felt this sensation of winning something. So, I have to confess, for the next couple months, during my work hours, I would take work breaks. Oh, gosh. And I would leave the office, and I would run to these arcades. Sometimes I would spend manon, imanon, to spend all this money and then embarrassed to say at my house on top of my bunk bed were about more than 100 uh, stuffed animals. I am pretty embarrassed to share this. Um, all because I could not exercise self-control. All right. Um, now this addiction and this habit has been broken off in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. And um, it, it, it ended up being for a good cause to loving my neighbor because I used it as prizes and I gave it all away. All right. Anyways, self-control. But the most relevant application of self-control is obviously in this uh, coronavirus season. It is social distancing. It is refraining from going out into big crowds. It is choosing to stay home as we suffer through cabin fever and whatnot. It is exercising self-control. But like I said, whether you're Christian or not, people exercise self-control. But I want to point out through the passage that we just read right now, that when it comes to a spirit-filled follower of Christ, when it comes to being a believer, we have a different motivation. And we have a different source of power to exercise self-control. Something beyond the human will that Christ offers us as we read this passage. A theme that I noticed in this passage is the theme of love versus lust. Love versus lust. In other words, living to love others or living to please oneself. When it comes to pleasing ourselves, it's called, another word to put that is called pleasing our flesh or our sinful nature. This is the free will choice that we are given daily. To either live to serve others or live to serve ourselves. Because of this battle within of love versus lust, this sinful nature, what do we do? We covet. 
we get jealous, we compare, we lose patience because we don't get our way, we spend money when we don't have to spend money. We, we spend our money, our time, and energy to satisfy ourselves. This is the natural inclination of the, of the flesh, of the sinful nature that battles within. And I, wanna, I made this slide to, slide to visualize this inner battle that Paul is trying to speak to us here. If you look here on the slide, on the, on the one side it says love. And under that, what it means to walk by the Spirit. And what it means to be selfless. On the other side, you see lust. The flesh just craving to be satisfied. And it causes us to be selfish and self-absorbed and self-consumed. In the breakdown of Galatians chapter 5, we only read actually the the last half of Galatians chapter 5. We didn't read the first half of Galatians chapter 5. And because of time, we're not going to go into the first half. But if you break it down on this next slide, you will see that on the side of love, on the side of lust, I mean, the way that it manifests is through legalism, saving ourselves through self-righteousness, or license, license to sin, license to indulge in our flesh, abusing grace. The breakdown of Galatians chapter 5, uh, if, you're in, if you want to study it later on, it goes like this. In chapter 5, verse 1 through 12, Paul confronts the legalism, namely you know, talking to the Gentiles in the context, and you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. Works-based righteousness, which is another form of selfishness. Another form of saving oneself. Paul confronts that in verse 1 through 12. But today's passage we read here, Paul addresses another aspect of it, which is license to sin. Abusing grace. Using your freedom to do whatever you want to indulge in your flesh. That is verse 13 to 21 as we read today. That's the breakdown of the chapter. Um, As we get into these verses, I want to share a quote by a pastor named A.R. Bernard. A.R. Bernard, he says this, and I love this quote. He says, the greatest threat to our freedom is our freedom. He says, the greatest threat to our freedom is our freedom. What do we do with the freedom that Christ has won for us? The context of this, of this pas- uh, passage is this. Paul is passionately reminding the Gentile believers to, to not go back to their foolish ways and not take on the yoke of slavery once again, a.k.a. legalism expressed through circumcision in this case. He is steering them away from works-based salvation and reminding them of the grace of God. They have been set free from the law. From the law they've been set free. But this portion we read today emphasizes that we're not only set free from something, but into something. We're set free into something, and we're set free into living by the Spirit. Paul is saying here, it's not enough, it's not just being set free from legalism, and being set free from a license to sin, but we're set free for a purpose, and that is walking by the Spirit. Set free to love. The problem is that we have been given freedom and free will, but we have yet to be fully sanctified. That is something that God is doing in each and every one of our lives. 
In every spirit-filled believer, God is continuing to sanctify, but there is that battle within of love versus lust, of the flesh and the spirit. There's a battle within taking place. So Christ has set us free when he said it is finished. But the question is, what will we do with that freedom? License to live for ourselves, Legalism to save ourselves? You see, it could be obvious and blatant sins, like the ones that we read here, sexual immorality. And all these lists that Paul laid out here, it could be blatant sins like that, but also it can be actions that are not inherently sinful, but not loving. It's not only addressing blatant sins, but it's, it's challenging each and every one of us. It's not about don't sin, although that is true. But it's about asking the further question, is it loving? Is it loving? And Paul says here um, in 1 Corinthians 10, 23 to 24, he says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful or beneficial. Not all things build up or loving toward others. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. But the good of his neighbor. Selfless thinking here. And further on in that passage, later on in that passage, the, the, the Bible verse, a lot of us memorized probably in elementary school, or you chew on whatever. In chapter 10, verse 31, it says, So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. What Paul is trying to say here is this. He's saying this. Our motivation to be selfless, our motivation to exercise self-control, yes, it is to love our neighbor. Yes, it is to put others above ourselves. But primarily, it is for the glory of God. It is because of the fear of the Lord and the reverence of God within our hearts. For the glory of God first, because that, when it expresses itself, it is loving toward others. Being selfless, walking by the Spirit, is glorifying God. It's not to please man and disregard, disregard God. You see, the tricky way we can apply this passage, if we're not careful, is that we can take this virtue and say, we're going to place others above ourselves, we're going to serve, serve, serve people. But we can do that to please man. We can do that with the heart mode of pleasing men. And I, I got to be honest, I, I, I fall into that often. And I take a step back and I realize, oh, primarily I was not really doing this for God, for the glory of God. Or I thought I was. But deep inside, I was actually doing it for myself. I was actually doing it for myself. So, free to love, free to serve, and freedom from ourselves. All of us in here, each and every day, we need freedom from our flesh. We need freedom from ourselves. The way of the Spirit is one of love, where there is no room for division or dissension or judgment or putting others down or hatred towards others. It's interesting when we study this passage, God put on my heart to preach on self-control. And as I was studying that passage, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness... I read the section right before that. And right before that, Paul says, don't use your freedom to indulge in your flesh. But the point of it is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. 
And it struck me that I, I believe that it was from the Lord because it struck me because last week, Pastor Susie from Luke chapter 10 preached on love your neighbor as yourself. So this sermon is actually a expounding upon her message of saying, what does it mean to love our neighbor in this season and in our lives as believers? She preached on what it means to love our neighbors. She preached on the parable of the Good Samaritan, remembering that you and I, we are not the Good Samaritan. We are not the Levite. We're not any of those people who walk by. We are that dead body that was shown mercy. That Jesus exemplified and showed us that he inconvenienced himself, that he limited personal liberties to show love, as Pastor Susie preached. In other words, freedom from self into freedom to love selflessly. Freedom to love selflessly. Freedom from self to freedom to love selflessly. That is what this passage is about here. So Paul exhorts us to walk in the Spirit. He gives gives us that option. Walk in the Spirit. Exhorts us. Come back. Come in line again. Walk in the Spirit. True freedom is freedom from yourself. True freedom is freedom from our flesh. And walking by the Spirit. So we see here, if we were to continue that list I made earlier, that that, that, um, slide I made, under the column of lust, uh, under the column of love, there lies freedom. True freedom is the ability to love. But under the column of lust, there lies bondage. Or Paul is saying again, stop going back, putting on that yoke of slavery. Stop abusing grace. You're putting yourself under bondage once again. You're living for your flesh once again. That's what Paul is saying here. That's what Paul is saying here. We're called to love others. We're called to deny ourselves. We're called to die to our flesh and allow the love of Christ to flow through us. But the thing is, we can't do it on our own. We can't do it on our own. It's not about, self-control is not about mustering up just our willpower. We've all tried that. We've all failed. But Paul is saying here, it's not about being necessarily self-controlled, but Holy Spirit controlled. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. Where Holy Spirit guides and empowers us to exercise self-control. When we tap into our inheritance, when we tap into the deposit placed into us, Holy Spirit is there to empower us, to give us victory. To walk in love, to walk in self-control. We need supernatural intervention. So I believe that Paul is calling us to approach the Lord in a heart posture that says, I am poor in spirit. I am bankrupt in my own ability and power and will to live in this way. To live selfless, to live in love, it's a supernatural thing. Lord, fill me with your spirit once again. Lord, make my heart tender once again. I want to be led by your spirit. I don't want to be numb to conviction. I need your spirit. We need his spirit. Verse 19 through 21, it gives us the idea of what, it shows us what the person who walks in the flesh looks like. The right column, right? The people that are indulging in the flesh, not even putting up a battle, abusing their freedom. We're not going to go into detail of all these manifestations of the living in the flesh today. 
what we are going to go into with the emphasis of today is actually the fruit of self-control. In verse 22, Paul lays out, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. And he lists on the rest of the fruit. It's interesting because when you study the Greek of the word love, agape, it's not in the plural form. The fruit is not in plural form, but it's actually in the singular form. That's interesting because it lists a lot of fruit, but why is fruit indicated as singular? It's because right here, all other, motiv- all other fruit listed is motivated by the main fruit, the first one, which is love. Which is love. Love encompasses all of the following. Actually, Martin Luther said this. He said, the following eight terms, the rest of the fruit are just describing what love looks like. Just describing what love looks like. I want to show a picture of this fruit. Okay, this fruit right here, if you see, it looks interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure none of us has ever, have ever seen it before. This thing is called a cashew, cashew fruit. Cashew fruit. I ate it almost every day when I was spending time and living in Africa a couple years ago. All over the place, this is one of my favorite fruits to eat. Why is it called a cashew fruit? It's so interesting because if you look at the end of that fruit, what do you see? You see a cashew nut. And so I've come to see, I've come to, when I was eating these things, it's obvious, but the cashew fruit that was most ripe and plump and huge, they actually produce the best tasting cashew nuts. But if you see on the other side, that green one, the sometimes cashew nuts grew disproportionately. And you see that fruit was not developed And when we ate that cashew nut, it actually tasted bitter. What I'm trying to say here is this. All the other fruits are represented as these cashew nuts. But you see, the main fruit of love, if nothing comes and grows out of the motivation and the power of the love of Christ, there is such a limit. There's not that supernatural emphasis and unction upon the rest of the fruit. So the central singular fruit that we seek after and pray for, that God himself is developing in us, is love. It's love. But today we're trying to emphasize self-control. Which means, I'm going to just say this definition here. It says this. Self-control in the Greek means holding oneself in. Or the ability to take a grip of oneself. Power over one's passions, appetites, and desires. To be master over oneself or, and self-restraint. It is the restraining and controlling of the desires, passions, and appetites of the sin nature. It's saying no. It's controlling thoughts and actions. And I thought about, hey, what's the difference between self-control and discipline? They... In a lot of ways, they go hand in hand. You know, I've come to the way that I use the word discipline. I feel like it's a lot of saying yes to things. Self-control, a lot of it is actually saying no to things. Resisting things. And actually, the idea of the word self-control, it presumes two things. It presumes two things. First, the presence of something within that needs to be restrained. That's the sinful nature. 
And two, the possibility for drawing on some source of power to restrain it, which is either our will or it's the Holy Spirit. That, the word self-control presumes those two things. Not only are there evil desires to renounce altogether, but good desires to keep in check and moderate. It's not a just, like I said earlier, it's not just about resisting sin, but it's about moderating the good things as well. You see, self-control, it affects how we manage our time. It affects how we manage our money. It affects our ability to overcome temptation. It develops godly character qualities. It controls our temper and our tongue. It regulates our health through proper diet, exercise, and rest. And most importantly, it affects the time we spend in the Word and in prayer. Self-control directly affects our spiritual formation. Self-control directly affects our ability to love one another, our ability to love our neighbor. The thing about self-control is that it's not flashy. It's not flashy. Actually, most of the time when you're exercising self-control, nobody sees it but God. Nobody sees it but God. When you're reining yourself in, when you're holding your tongue, when you're saying no to temptation, nobody sees it. There's no opportunity to please man. It's low-key. It's covert love right there. Self-control rooted in love, as we want to emphasize today. It's not just about exercising self-control to become a more virtuous person. To become a better person and feel good about ourselves. A lot of us, including myself, we may be tempted to do that. Manage ourselves. Practice Christian virtues. Because deep inside, we want to feel good about ourselves. You know, and, and we do. Like, I, I feel like that all the time. But the emphasis is love. The emphasis is for others. See, there's a shift in how we need to view self-control. Uh, shifting for others above ourselves. It's not, don't get me wrong, it's not eradicating self-care. We should all practice self-care. But it has to be for the sake of others first, and also first and foremost, for the glory of God. Selfless self-control. Let me explain some more. When it comes to self-care, Physically, like working out and refraining from other activities to take care of ourselves, intentionally Sabbathing, intentionally resting to take care of our, our minds and our hearts. When it comes to practicing these disciplines and, and self-control, it's all good. And naturally, naturally, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, we do it for ourselves, don't we? I want to get healthy, so I need to eat well. I need to lose this belly fat, so I need to run. You know, I need to do these things. I want, to be, I want to become a more kind person. So let me practice just listening and not talking so much, right? You see, these things, we do it for ourselves. But when we are motivated by the love of Christ, when we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, the end of these practices is not for ourselves, but for others. I'll give you an example. My mom... She is 61 now. She's getting to that age where, you know, her body is deteriorating. She's getting old. So as a son that's apart from her, I, I get more and more concerned over health. 
I tell her again and again, Mom, are you exercising? Mom, are you running? Can you at least walk on the treadmill? Are you eating healthy? Can you, are you decreasing your you know, activities, even church activities, to take care of your health, to get enough sleep in? Are you taking care of yourself? I say this again and again, and the thing is, my mom, she does practice these things when I tell this to her. She does practice self-control in these ways. But her motivation, I know, to do these things is actually not just for herself. Her motivation to practice self-control in these ways is because she loves my sister and I. She wants to cause us not to worry. That motivation of love right there is a more powerful motivation than just doing it for ourselves. You see here, there's that shift. My mom was practicing self-control in a way to love others. You and I, when we diet, when we work out, when we uh, Sabbath to take care of ourselves, can I just challenge each and every one of us to do it for ourselves, but actually take it a step further. How can my well-being, how can my well-being serve to love others better? How can I limit what I want to spend on this money so I can use it to be more generous toward others? How can I seek after a job not just for myself, but God, place me in the place where I can be selfless. Place me in the place where I can be of influence to serve others. There's a difference in mindset here. The healthier you are, the more loving you can be. When I sleep better, when I eat better, when I'm doing these, I guess what? I listen better. I listen better. And some of you guys are thinking I should rest more, right? <laughs> I listen better. I'm more present. My self-awareness becomes higher the more healthier I am. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. It's loving to practice self-control. You know, when there's panic and suffering and crisis, it's natural to go into self-preservation mode, isn't it? All of us have experienced that. And I'm not condemning, it, condemning anyone for this. is natural. Um, we naturally resort to taking care of ourselves. Without even noticing, it's quite possible to actually preserve ourselves even at the expense of others. And this time right now, during this coronavirus, is actually the perfect example it's a perfect example where we really need to ask the Holy Spirit. We can't just take care of ourselves. But we need to do it with the heart motive of this is loving to others. As Pastor Susie preached last week, this is loving my neighbor. And by the way, I'm not saying that we should, we should not speak up against injustice. You know, I'm not saying, you know, practice self-control don't speak up for what needs to be said against, against injustice. That's a whole nother topic. That's a whole nother story. We can't say that Jesus lost self-control when he was flipping tables in the temple courts. That's another story. But we know through the conviction of the Holy Spirit when we are doing it for our flesh, when we are feeding our flesh. Holy Spirit is the one that keeps us accountable. When we react to things out of anger, to satisfy you know, that urge in us. We know by the Holy Spirit if it's actually glorifying to God or not, don't we? 
When it comes to self-control, ultimately, our controlling ourselves is about actually being controlled by Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.14, it says, When the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ controls us in another transition, in translation. We can rest in the freedom that we can find strength in the person of Jesus and Jesus alone. It's His example that He expressed in His life and through Calvary that compels us to exercise self-control in a selfless way. He is the epitome of selfless self-control. In Titus 2, 11-12, it says, For the grace of God, this grace that is for you and I, the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. In 2 Timothy 1.7, it says this, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The good news is that the love of Christ not only compels us, but the power of the Holy Spirit empowers us. And all of us are invited daily to surrender to that and receive that grace daily. We can't do it on our own. We've got to position our hearts in humility and ask for Holy Spirit daily to empower us. Sitting at the foot of the cross and asking the love of Christ to compel us. This is the way to, to live out selfless self-control. Jesus' example of self-control must be remembered all day, every day. He's the one who lived a sinless life for 33 years on this earth. He became flesh. He became human. He became one of us. That he experienced the temptations. He experienced the times where he could have let loose. But he was perfectly, constantly requiring self-control with the help of God. He lived out every step of the way. Even in the face of temptation by the devil in, in the desert, he was tempted to give in for, to, the, to the lust of the eyes, to the lust of the flesh, to the pride of life. The Satan said, I'll give you the kingdoms, I'll give you bread to satisfy your flesh. He practiced self-control in that desert. Why? Because he was living for the glory of God. He wanted to stay aligned with the will of God. And ultimately, he practiced self-control because he was thinking of you and I. He was thinking of others. He was thinking of this world. Selfless self-control. He could have called legions of angels to come down when he was hanging on that cross, when he was getting tortured and whipped, when he was being spat upon, when his dignity was being trampled on. He could have, he could have called upon the angels. But what, what, hold, what held him on that cross? It was love expressed in self-control, as we see right there. Christ was the epitome of self-control. Christ is the epitome of self-control. This is how Jesus showed his radical love. And in this season right now, as we're going through this crazy time, whether it's just through this crisis or just life as a disciple of Christ, the Lord draws us near to practice and live out self-control in our lives. So, brothers and sisters, continue to practice love 
thinking of others, putting others before us, social distancing with the motive of love, staying clean for the motive of love, not just for saving yourself, but for others. When we're hearing all these opinions of different church leaders, Paul says in here, stop tearing each other apart and devouring one another. Practice self-control. Let's slow down and think about and practice empathy. Think about what people are saying instead of trying to just lusting after our own way. And let's just practice how to do that.